So week one, we talked about this idea of the larger story. Um, this idea that the thing happening with Jesus takes place in the context of a grand narrative that begins in Genesis 1 and 2 and ends in Revelation 21 and 22. Um, and we tried to frame the Bible almost in a small way, um, recognizing it's a bigger story, but to recognize also that um, God was going to do what God planned to do regardless of what happened with us. The, the whole story was going to go from the garden to the globe. It was going to go from the garden to a city. Um, and so he, he had a vision for us and how he wanted us to live and thrive, right? That shalom uh, vision. And a part of the goal of, you know, studying the Bible is trying to figure out where we're at in that. Like where, how are we still a part of that story that God originally intended, right? That story that he began telling and intended to tell through us. Are we living that way? Like, do we believe that's actually true? Um, and then we looked at the words that Jesus speaks, his very first words, um, repent and believe the good news, right? The kingdom of God has arrived. It is drawn near to you. Repent and believe the good news. That word repent uh, literally means return. It's that Hebrew word shuva, come back. Come back and get on the path, right? You're missing the mark, but I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, says God. Like I, this story will play out the way I intend it to. And so I invite you to come and live in that story. So that was kind of week one, um, a bigger story. Uh, week two was a bigger gospel so the good news, what is that, right? Is the good news this idea that we're just going to get out of here and go to heaven? Well, that wouldn't fit really well into the grand arc, like that narrative of Revelation, sorry, Genesis 1 and 2 to Revelation 21 and 22. God had a plan, and God didn't just let go of his plan when, you know, we got off the mark, when sin entered the world. Um, and so that idea to come back and to return, like the gospel is something that can take place here and now. It's not necessarily about just heaven, right? It's not about where we go when we die. It's about the thing that God is up to in our lives, in our worlds, all around us. Um, so it's kind of this both and reality, and that's kind of a lot. We spent a ton of time in the book of Exodus uh, last time, which um, hopefully that'll make sense why we did that today. The book of Exodus um, kind of lays out Egypt, right, as sort of this... Um, this overarching concept of what happens when the world goes off the rails. You know what I mean? How are we in Egypt? And how is God inviting us to come out of Egypt? Um, and how is he, sorry, hinted at this, how is he hopefully beginning through the story of Jesus, a new exodus? How is he inviting us to come out of our own individual Egypt? So that was kind of where we landed things last time. Hopefully that's a good recap. Um, Tonight, we're going to look into the book of Acts. So the whole thing is going to be book of Acts. Um, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts in chapter 1. Um, and we're just going to, we're going to go through the first four chapters of the book of Acts, and we're going to look at the way the church got started, right? Jesus, after he'd finished his work, sent his people forward, and this is how it looked. And I would argue this is probably how it was meant to look, um, is the book of Acts, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. Um, it invites, so I, uh, the way I want you guys to think of tonight is almost an invitation to look back at like our, our Christian uh, family album. Like you've got those, those pictures up on the wall. One of my favorite times at 180 is when you have a student who, after having not been here for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, Alex, you'll, you'll relate to some of this. Liz has been here when some of those kids have walked through after years and years and years of being gone. And they will look up at the wall and they'll immediately, what do they, what do they start doing? They try to find themselves on the wall. Like, where am I in the story of this place? 
Um, and I can remember there was a kid, um, this is a few years back, who came in. I was just here by myself. Um, he came in and he was looking at the wall and he was standing there just staring intently. And I'm like, what are you looking for? And he, it was, I'll never forget the way he phrased it. He um, was from one of the bands that used to play here. And he goes, I'm just looking for where we started. Um, trying to figure out where my story, right? He connected sort of his life and maybe where his band went. I don't know the rest of his story because we didn't get much of a conversation out of that. But his phrase was, I'm just looking for where we started, right? Where, where did my story begin? Um, I want you guys to think of Acts 1 through 4 as it's our family album. This is where we started. This is our roots. This is our heritage. This is who we were intended to be, right? When our family was humming along, functioning as it was meant to function when our kids were little. You know what I mean? When, when we lived as little kids with our parents, right? And we had these fond memories of like, that man, things were so good back then. Um, that to me is why the book of Acts, especially the first part of it, that's why it exists, is to remind us what the church was intended to look like, how it was sent forward. Liz, you got a funny... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I'm just looking from like, where, where we started, right? Where did I come from? Why are we still doing this thing, right? If we go back to our roots to sort of get some perspective and go, okay, that's, that's what we're intended to do. That's the way we're intended to be. Um, so that's the goal tonight <clears throat> is to remember who we are. Uh, so let's look at Acts chapter one and... Let's look, this Bible is not my Bible, so you'll forgive me for taking a minute longer to get where I'm going here. And as a matter of fact, let's just have, um, Steve, if you wouldn't mind, just read, start reading from uh, verse one. And yeah, let's go through verse nine, one through nine. Uh, yeah, let's read through 11. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand there looking into the sky? The same Jesus who was taken from you to heaven will come back in the same way you to All right, what stands out to you as, as you just kind of read through that? What immediately jumps off the page about that little section of Scripture? 
Huh? Waiting for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. There's a waiting. There's an anticipation. Yeah. Something building, something stirring. Sure. What else? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's this look of like, uh, it's almost confusion, right? They're standing there staring into the sky. And it takes literal angels, you know, two men, whatever they are, right? These strange men standing there dressed in white saying, don't look up, right? The same Jesus you just saw leave is going to come back. And basically there's like a call to action there. Like you need to move forward, you know? The story starts here. What else? Yeah. 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 What a confusing moment, you know. He was. What they thought of the phrase, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. What is the Holy Spirit? Yeah. It's not really an Old Testament, that phrasing. You know, you have the Spirit in the Old Testament, but not in that construct. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't really have like a robust Trinitarian understanding of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here, you know. And so Jesus is, he's explained it to them a little bit in John, you know, 14, 15, and 16. But yeah, what? Like there's a confusion going on here. The other thing I, I, I would challenge you to notice is there's, this whole thing is loaded with invitation. You will be my witnesses, right? You will receive power. Somehow my story, as silly as this is, somehow my story will be told through you people. Do you know what I mean? That's one of those things where I think sometimes we tend to back off and we go, okay, God, you just do it. But this moment in scripture is loaded with, actually, you're going to be a part of this, right? For some reason, God has chosen us. Um, This is the bottom, this is the underside of the Arch of Titus in Rome. Uh, Really famous giant arch that stands in Rome. Um, Jesus shares these final few words with his disciples. And then it says, after he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. Uh, This is the moment that we Christians um, call the ascension. So we have the life, death, resurrection. These are the big moments in Jesus's timeline. The one we sometimes forget about is the ascension, which is just as important as the other three. Not more important, but it is just as important, a theological moment, like a moment that happens with Jesus, uh, is the ascension. Um, When Jesus ascends, where is he going? Up, right? Yeah, he's he's being lifted out of their sight into the clouds. Um, But like where where do we typically think he's going in this moment? Sit at the right hand of the Father, going to be with God, yeah. Um, I think forever for me, it was, he's going to heaven, right? He's going to wait there in heaven for us so that he can set up my mansion and then I can get there and be with him. Um, which in some ways is true, right? He is passing into that realm. Okay. But in other ways, um, there's other things going on here. So you've got to sort of wrap your head around the Jewish mind, right? This Bible, the, the Bible, the story is being told uh, within the Jewish context. And you've got to wrap your mind around the, the your head around the Roman uh, mind, the way they would have seen this, because this is who the book is being written to, okay? So the Jewish mind, what they would see happening, they would read about in Luke's story here, 
what they would immediately recognize is one of the central promises of their scriptures coming true. Um, their minds would be taken back to the book of Daniel in chapter 7, where it talks about one like a son of man being brought up onto the clouds of heaven and being presented to the ancient of days. When that happened in Daniel 7, this is one of their pivot point prophecies, especially at this time, right, early first century, this was being talked about quite a bit because we're being persecuted by Rome, because there's this whole giant political upheaval taking place in Israel. And so they are talking about Daniel 7 all the time. You can find it in extra biblical writings. You can find it inscribed, contemporaneous to the things that are happening in this text. Daniel 7 is what's being talked about because we're waiting for the one like the son of man right now. We need him to come back. Right? We need him to do his thing. Um, and so when Jesus is lifted up into the clouds, that would have brought that imagery to their minds, right? Like, oh my goodness, oh my word, my God, could this really be happening right now? Is, was this the son of man? And Jesus referred to himself over and over again as the son of man. So yes, right? There's something happening here. Daniel 7 is coming true, okay? So that would be the Jewish mind. Roman mind, uh, there's this world called apotheosis, which basically means the deification of a king. Um, in the Roman world, it would have a really concrete meaning because when a Roman emperor died, uh, it was pretty much a given that someone somewhere would declare that they had witnessed that emperor's soul leaving his body, okay, and going up to heaven. One commentator notes that if you go to the Forum at Rome and you look up and you see the Arch of Titus, and you can't really see it there, but there, this is actually Titus flying on an eagle. He's flying on an eagle being brought up to heaven. This is his deification, right? The deification of an emperor. Um, what they meant when they said that was the emperor is going to heaven and this emperor is now becoming divine, like a god, right? So for Luke, who's witnessing this or, 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 or hearing this, anyone who witnessed it happening, there would have been a very real irony here, okay? Because in Rome, this king pretended to be a god, right? But in the ascension, God became king right? Jesus ascends to the right hand of God. That's that whole Daniel 7 imagery. And I share that with you because it paints almost everything that happens in the story, the book of the first four chapters of Acts. These people, right? They're our spiritual grandparents. They saw all this happen. They had this concrete belief that the ascension had happened and the ascension wasn't Jesus leaving. It was him ascending to the throne of heaven. He was taking his place as the ruler of all things, Right? So they knew by the book of Daniel that far from being gone somewhere else in another world, Jesus was actually being given power and authority here in this world. Right? So when they started to call themselves Christians, right, the word Christ, Christus, is simply king. We're the people of the king. Right? We are the people who follow the king. We are the people who obey this king. We swear fealty and allegiance to this king and not yours. And the ascension is when that all happens, right? That's when it all takes place. Does that make sense? Sometimes what happens is we can come, become so obsessed with some of the things that we've heard, where, the where we go when we die, and about going up, right, to be with Jesus in heaven, that we miss the fact that the whole point was his power being released here, right? That was the whole thing going on there. Um, now, it doesn't take that long for his power to be released and his authority to be released in this world, in the book of Acts. Uh, if you notice chapter 2, oops, apotheosis, sorry. So in the ascension, God became king. <clears throat> All right, Acts 2. The wind and the fire. Um, 
D. Are you there? Acts chapter 2. Yep, on the day of Pentecost. Why don't you read 2 through 4. So I don't want this to get lost on us here, right? In Acts 1, Jesus ascended to heaven and was there for all of a week and a half. And then in Acts 2, he came right back down to earth by his spirit. So this is what we refer to as the two-stage second coming of Christ, right? In some some ways, we're waiting for Jesus to return. But in other ways, and we forget this, he came back, right? In the person of the Holy Spirit. His power was released, okay? Okay. so Acts 2, he came right back down to earth by his spirit. And the rest of the story is that people from all over the world who were gathered in Jerusalem at that time for the festival of Pentecost were able to hear about this new kingdom in their own language. And the two key words here are wind and fire, okay? Wind and fire. This is, again, language that if you're a first century Jewish person would have made your head explode. Because on the day of Pentecost, if you're a good Jewish person, what were you celebrating? Pentecost is a celebration. It's a party that they had in honor of something that took place thousands of years before, right? You would have been celebrating what happened centuries earlier at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament when the Ten Commandments and the law were given to the people through Moses, right? Up to that point, that was the biggest moment in the history of your people if you're a Jewish person, okay? You would have been celebrating that on the the evening of Pentecost, right? An event which was marked by God descending down on a mountain, And if you read the language in the book of Exodus, he descends in smoke and fire, okay? And it says there was thunder, right? God came in the sound of thunder. And the word thunder is the word kolot, which literally means voices. So this event is defined by voices and fire, okay? And that is the story that you would be telling in hushed tones around your dinner table as you're celebrating Pentecost with the unleavened bread. Um, God spoke to people with a noise so thunderous and violent that it shook the ground they stood on, okay? So that was the moment where the 12 tribes of Israel were given an identity to be God's people for the nations. And here in Acts, you have 12 apostles waiting in an upper room, right? Waiting, anticipating, celebrating this event. And the spirit of Jesus descends in a thunderous noise of wind and fire, empowering them to reveal this new kingdom to everyone from every nation under heaven. So the very thing they were celebrating, they were now experiencing. It was not a story anymore that we read about. It is something that's happening here in concrete reality. Um, Powerful, right? That's a powerful moment. And the reason I share this here is sometimes we miss the significance of that, right? That the word is supposed to become flesh. That the story is something that actually gets fulfilled in concrete reality in the book of Acts. Um, when you make this story about heaven or about speaking in tongues, right, or we make it about whether or not we've received the Holy Spirit, uh, you miss the point, right? None of that mattered at all to these people. The meaning was unmistakably clear to them, right? God is doing it again. This is the new exodus. He is doing it again right before our eyes. Just as an aside here, I want you, so there's the important, importance of Pentecost, right? They're being give, given back their identity as the people of God. 
And then I want you to look at this. These are some words that are used in that passage. Suddenly, violent wind, tongues of fire, bewilderment. They were utterly amazed, right? They were amazed and perplexed. Some people made fun of them saying they've had too much wine. Um, What's always fascinating to me is that this passage, this is the place in the Bible where Christians with a straight face for a long time have said, this is where the church began. This is the fundamental foundational passage about the church of Jesus Christ. Are these the words in your heart when you think of church, right? Like, this is the story. When I think about going to church on a a Sunday morning, these are not the words that come to my mind, right? But these were their words. This was the only way they could describe the birth of the church. Something violent, wind and fire. They were bewildered, right? They were amazed and perplexed. There was something radical happening here. Something that we were, we're now drawn to and we have to be a part of. Um, this is the story, right? This is our spiritual heritage. This is, this is the pictures in our picture book. Um, notice what Peter says in 2.15. He says, you guys, I know this is crazy, right? I know it seems like we've had a little too much to drink. Um, it's nine o'clock in the morning, right? We're not drunk. The prophet Joel told us this was going to happen. He said that when God became king, he would pour out his spirit on mankind and that young men would see visions and old men would dream dreams and everyone, men, women, young, old, rich, poor, everyone would be a part of it, right? For Peter and the others, it was crystal clear what was happening here. Uh, The king had ascended, right? And now his people were being empowered to advance this kingdom into the world, right? On this day, it meant that people could hear the message in their own language, The next day, it meant that somebody would be healed on the temple steps, right? The next day, it would be people caring for each other and making sure no one was hungry. Something was happening, and it was happening here and now in concrete reality. Um, These are the stories, right? These are the stories that launched the church. They're our story. So what we're saying when we say that we're Christians or that we are a part of a church, right, is that we're people who believe that Jesus is now king, right? Who believe that he's actually here. We believe that his power was being given to his people so that they could take part in his restorative work in the world. This is our heritage. Um, We are, the way I love to say it is, we are people of wind and fire, (laughs) you know? This is how we were intended to walk through the world. Um, These are the reasons why some of us tend to get really stirred up when we think about the state of Christianity or the state of the church, um, you know, in the world today. Because it doesn't feel like this to me sometimes, right? Not that it's about a feeling, but if this is our heritage and this is like what we're supposed to remember to get our heads right about what the church is supposed to be, are we people of wind and fire? That's just a question that I think is meant to kind of hover there. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my son, Sam, when he was younger, used to, he still does this to this day. Last night he came home from the airsoft thing <laughs> and he has to tell us how he won the day. <laughs> like he has to like give us the story about how he took these guys out and you know he went around the corner and somebody took his machine gun but it didn't matter because he had this gun and he has to tell us the story of you'll never believe like how much I won. 
you know. That's just the way he, he's always come home with. And he, he doesn't tell us anything if it's not the most amazing thing ever, which causes us to question, like, you know, you can't win every football game, right? You can't have always gotten the, you know, the winning touchdown. And when he was younger, he was always, like, I threw the winning touchdown pass in PE today. Um, he wanted us to know this is what happened, and it was epic, right? These are the glasses that he has on. This is the way he looks at the world. I want you to know how epic my life is, how epic my world is. Um, I think something like this is going on in Acts chapter 2, right? They have these kinds of lenses on, right? For Sam, every moment in his life is special in some way. And it was especially true when he was younger, right? He was tuned in to the fact that everything out there is just an amazing story to be told. Um, Acts chapter 2, you have this beautiful description. This is Acts 2.42. You guys all know this one. I'm just going to read it to you again because I think it's important. This beautiful description of what the first gathering, the first church was like. 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. That is verse 46. Day by day they were continuing with one mind in the temple and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right? It's like these people understood in that moment that they were right smack in the middle of the story. And they needed to tell about it. They needed to share those stories with anybody who would listen. Right? These people were awesome. They studied their Bibles. They knew the significance of what was happening. They could see God working everywhere because they were looking for it. And it was blowing their minds, right? Everyone wanted in. (laughs) These are the stories. This is the way I want to be able to talk about my life with Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Is that wrong? Like, that's the way I want to be able to talk about my life with Christ. You wouldn't believe the sense of awe that we had when that happened. Okay, no matter how big, not all of this is big. We ate together (laughs) and it was awesome. Dude, it was great, right? Like not all of this stuff is gigantic that's happening here. It's just them describing their their way of living and it was good. This is the church. These are our stories. This is our photo book. Is anybody's mind moving right now? Keep going. Okay. Acts chapter three. I think. Sorry, I already, I already gave you that part. <laughs> not, not on it with the PowerPoint tonight. <clears throat> All right. Out of the temple. So story keeps going. These people, our spiritual grandmothers and grandfathers, didn't stop. Because no matter how awesome it was inside their homes, inside their church, inside their gathering, they knew that the gathering wasn't the point right? Like the point is not that we get to live life beautifully together. That's not the point. And if you, if you doubt that, you just have to keep reading the story. Uh, Acts chapter 3, the story keeps going, okay? They, their calling was to go out. Their calling was to witness, like heralds announcing a kingdom, right? From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And their first stop is right outside the door. This is Acts 3, 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along 
whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. So the irony of this story is thick, right? There's a man sitting literally on the doorstep of the temple where everybody's going in and out to talk to God every day, right? To pray every day. The power of God is in here and this person is just on the outside, right? Um, The man's life is a product of the brokenness of this world, whatever the case was. Maybe it was some sort of sickness or some sort of physical abnormality, whatever it was. His his life now consisted of hoping that somebody passing by on their way into church would help him, right? And that obviously stirs up some junk, you know, for me because you have this broken man sitting outside the door of the temple, right? And all that that's representative of. Um, Things are a mess out there, okay? We all of us live with that reality every day, broken relationships, broken bodies, broken systems of government, broken (laughs) days, okay? And it's been that, day, that way since the day we were born. Um, I've, I just kind of connect everything back to 180, but there was a kid who sat right outside that door um, one night. Um, amazing kid. His name was Nick. I think he went to school with you. He had uh, like piercings all over his body, tattoos all over his body. Um, he was super deep. Like he's one of these kids that could sit there and talk to you for hours about poetry and music all the makings of a renaissance man, Um, also super addicted to drugs, right? So he's a product of his environment. Um, His home was a mess, right? His take on on the world and how to be in the world was warped. Um, So from the day he was born, Nick walked with a very real limp. Um, And then as time went on, like so many of our kids, um, drinking really young, smoking weed, doing the harder stuff, right? Pretty soon he's a total mess. So one night, it's the middle of winter, okay, after hours, Seems like the best stuff always happened when our program was over, right? And things start to spill out onto the, onto the streets. Um, we're sitting down talking with the staff about everything that had gone down that night. And it had been a rough night, right? We were tired. We're debriefing it the night. And I look over and standing outside the glass doors is Nick. And he's got a cigarette in his hand and he's just doing this. He's, he's looking at us through the, through the window, right? And, he's, and I can tell he's like freezing. He doesn't have a shirt on, okay? And it's, it's whatever it is, January. And he's standing outside the door and he's got the, the cigarette in his hand. And, and my staff immediately roll their eyes, right? Because we know this kid and we know what he's after. Um, we were tired. We've been dealing with messy kids all night long. We know that if we invite him in, right, or one of us go out there, we might be there till two o'clock in the morning. And you know, with a story like that, I might be dealing with this all night long. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So you have this question in your mind. Do I engage? Okay, right outside my door is this kid. Do I engage? Do I get into it or not? Um, Thankfully, uh, John Shin was there. Um, John, I think most of us here know John, um, recovery guy, really good dude. Um, And he sees Nick and he immediately bolts out and goes and starts talking to him and has like a two-hour conversation with him. Um, In that moment, something happened in John that wasn't happening in the rest of us, right? He was overcome with a sense of hope and not despair about this kid, right? He felt this like this draw, this longing that something could happen here, right? I would say that he in that moment believed that Jesus was alive and that he was still working. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And that's not to say anything about the rest of our staff. We just had been there, right? We'd done it so many times. But there's something special about being alive with that idea of possibility, that idea of anticipation, that God might actually work this time through this kid. 
And I can't, I can't remember whether he was fixed that night or not. Uh, probably not. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it was the beginning. It was the start of something. Um, do you have that sense, right? So let's read Acts chapter 3. Lame man is sitting outside the door. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And then he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. (laughs) Our heritage, our story, is not of a people who see brokenness in the world and we lock our doors and we close the shades, right? We're not of a people who think that Jesus is far away and we just need to wait this broken world out until the end. Right? We are a people who you see evil and you see brokenness and you see despair and you see struggle and you see bondage and you see decay and you, you stare it in the face, right? Because you know that Jesus is alive. Right? Hebrews 10, we've talked about this before, tells us that we are not of those who shrink back. First Timothy says, to fan into flames the gift of God for the spirit, of God, spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and discipline right? What opportunity waits right outside the church or the temple door, right? And again, the, the, remember the imagery here. These are, we're going back to our roots to try to figure out why we are here and how, what we're supposed to do as the church, right? And where this takes place is profoundly important, right? So we are people who fully believe that Jesus is alive, that he's on the move. And then the importance of the location of this healing, it's outside the temple. Within just a few short years, the temple would be no more, And the work of God would take place out in the world on street corners and anywhere it could happen, right? It was outside the walls, outside the bricks, outside the building. This is where God was on the move. And as you track through, if you continue to read the book of Acts, it gets further and further and further and further and further away from the location of where the temple was before, right? It expands, it spreads out. It's like ripples in a pond, the work of the kingdom of God which makes you go back and question the impulse to build temples, right? Like that's, that impulse is not here. The impulse is to move out of the temple, right? And the temple still exists and serves a purpose for several chapters, but eventually it's gone. The impulse is to move out. Jesus ascends to the throne and now the whole earth will be his temple, right? So the story continues. Acts chapter 4, okay? So what's happened now is that everyone has seen this man who couldn't walk before, now jumping, okay? Something obvious has happened. The Lord has moved. And he did what people do when they're connected with the true source of life. He went into the temple and worshiped, right? So that's the first thing he does. Everyone is freaked out, right? Because stuff like this hasn't happened in their temple in a very long time. And now here's this man jumping who couldn't walk before and bringing glory to God, and it requires an explanation. And so Peter obliges them. The rest of Acts chapter 3 is Peter explaining how this happened, which he did by telling them their own story, right? This is what our prophets told us what happened. This is the real deal. Read your Bibles, you top of the food chain temple authorities, right? Like this is what always was supposed to happen. 
The problem comes in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in jail the next day, for it was already evening. So the first obstacle that the wind and fire driven community runs into is devout religious people, okay? Something really good and beautiful happens, then it doesn't fit their way of doing things, and so they throw people in jail, right? Um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests in these stories get a bit of a bad rap. Um, their problem is not that they're evil, right? Even though there was corruption in the temple, um, they just have a really human thing happening here. And I want to just pick out some phrases here and see if we can get at what's going on. Peter and John are brought in to explain themselves. Uh, notice how these people react in verse 7. <clears throat> I want to make sure that that's correct. Uh, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Okay? So clearly something odd is going on here. Clearly this is not something that normally happens, right? It for sure shouldn't happen outside our temple. This is outside our normal range of understanding. It's outside our boundaries. Some power has, has, has landed here. Explain yourselves, right? So Peter charges, charges in full confidence. He quotes scripture, which is so awesome, right? He basically says, have you guys even read the Bible, right? Let me enlighten you. Notice their response in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Uh, the actual words there, I love. Agrammatoi kai idiotai. <laughs> we translated unschooled and ordinary. It's literally, these guys are idiots, right? Yeah. Um, not only is something odd going on, right? Not only is there power being poured out, but these men, people, have no formal training. They didn't go to seminary, right? The only remaining explanation for how they know the scriptures is that they were the ones following that Jesus character around, right? Notice where the attention is drawn back to. It's now not about them, it's about Jesus. Something about them lets us know that they've been with Jesus, right? I thought we were done with that Jesus dude. So the temple authorities confer with one another. Notice verse 16. What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. You guys starting to get the picture? Nothing makes sense in this world anymore, right? This is not the way we do things. These guys have no education. They were way outside the temple or they were outside the temple when this happened. And yet here there's this guy and he's jumping and he's standing and he's giving Yahweh the glory for it. We are the ones who like have the glory of Yahweh back here in a little room right? We're the ones who have that under control, right? What's happening is the priests and the temple authorities here, behind the corruption and behind their anger and frustration, is very, very human, right? Because all of us, as we talk about Nick standing outside the door, as we think about the circumstances that I know we all brought in here tonight, right? We have a little voice going off in the back of our head going, no, it's not possible. No, no, the miracles happened then. They don't really happen now, right? There is something wrong with the way we're teaching this. There's something wrong with the way that's happening. I need to control it because if I don't control it, it could hurt me if it doesn't happen the way I want it to, right? Whatever the, the, the internal dialogue that's, that's going on inside, 
right? We all have it. It's, it's what is naturally happening to these people. And I think the story is there just to let us know that's normal, that's real, right? We are going to be prone to doubt what's happening. Um, what tends to happen with religion <clears throat> is that you go through the motions of being a Jew, being a Christian, um, but you forget the actual story. You forget that our heritage and our roots and our photo album is filled with stuff like this. And that actually this is normative. This is the way it's supposed to work. I had a, a brilliant conversation. I should send it to you guys. Um, with someone who on Facebook argued with me. Like he sent me these uh, uh, instant messages, Facebook like private messages, and just argued and argued and argued that miracles don't happen anymore because this was, this, there was like a, he had this whole, uh, there's a whole theology of why Acts 1 through 4 were just for that moment, right? Just for that, that point in time. Um, and it was clear to me that he had gotten that from books and scholars, right? The impulse to control the movement of the Holy Spirit is strong, right? The impulse to try to make it fit, make it make sense is strong to the point where we will argue that it doesn't happen anymore. The MacArthur Study Bible. If you go to the section... Um, on spiritual gifts all of a sudden his notes take up most of the page he is trying to explain away in detail why some of these gifts don't happen anymore these were sign gifts right and we can spend a lot of time getting into that but i just see the impulse the impulse is i gotta make it make sense because if i don't i might get hurt right if i don't um it's going to be outside my, my my control outside my box right um what I love about Peter throughout this whole thing, he's sort of the, the chosen spokesperson through these few chapters, is over and over and over again, he invites them back to the scriptures, back to Joel, back to Daniel. And he's basically saying, you guys, I don't know why you're so freaked out right now. This is our story, right? Like this is what was said would happen, right? Um, what if we were to start to live and move in that way, like as if scripture were actually true and being fulfilled. Because that's what Peter does over and over again. All this stuff is happening. And he does have this little moment where he goes, well, who's supposed to listen to you or God? But ultimately he's like, no, this is actually the way it was always supposed to happen. Right? This is what our scriptures actually say. And so we live this way. And so we expect it to happen this way. Um, what if we actually believe that that was the point of the church, right? Was to fulfill scripture in our world. Um, what would things look like? Would they look different? And if, even if you go down to the, the last piece there, Acts 4. This is not about an institution called the church doing things right. This is about a group of people who actually just believed that the story was true. Um, it always brings you back down to like the way their family gathered. Um, 432 all the believers were one heart and one mind no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own they shared everything they had this is telling the story again with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the lord jesus it's about him not us and so god's grace was so powerfully at work in them uh, all that they were there were no needy persons among them from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them bought, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need this is not the description of an institution this is a description of people living as if they've actually walked with and been with jesus right 
It just brings it into natural conflict with the institution. But it really is just individuals. Um, one of the central claims of the first followers of Jesus was that Jesus had come and filled Isaiah 61, right? The basic idea in Isaiah 61 was that when Messiah came, everything would be forgiven, right? It's that Jubilee story. Um, not only people's sins, but also their real debts, right? Like their real money debts. So Isaiah 61 talks about people working each other's fields and sharing their riches, no one going hungry, but having a double portion. This is the way things are supposed to look when the king ascends to the throne and you see him doing it. Oh, they're actually living that way. Um, his followers are living that out. They're people who not only know the story, but they live the story. Um, I think the reason we, you know, we set out and, and we try new endeavors, um, we try new things, is just because, I, I, at least for me, I want to believe and I have this belief that it's actually the story is real, right? And so we set out and we try something new and we live a new way and we, and we trust, right? And we, and we go and we move forward. Um, this is the reason that we have to, we have to leave the old and move into the new, right? We have to continue to move forward because God is on the move. He is working. He is moving. He is doing something new every day. Um, he doesn't change, but he is on the move, right? And so that's why trying new things in different ways is important. Um, that kind of leads us forward into the, the next, the last sort of theological piece, um, is what does it look like to actually try something new, right? And why is that important? So, but this is the reason, this is the foundation, right? This is our story. This is, this is our heritage. This is our roots. This is our photo album. Um, we got to go back and we got to remember. So I know this is, for those of us who are here tonight, this is, this is not new ground, do you know what I mean? But it's profoundly important ground and hopefully just makes us alive again to the reality that this story is real, right? The story is real. <laughs>